Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters for Monday, September 11th, 2023. Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson Smith. Our producer is Christian Ryan. Ben, Toronto Blue Jays are, oh my goodness, they are 80 and 63. They have 80 wins. The Toronto Blue Jays, third place in the AL East in sole possession of the second wildcard spot in the American League, a game ahead of Seattle, a game and a half ahead of the Texas Rangers who are in town for a four-game set beginning this Eve, before we tee up the Rangers series, which is going to be the biggest one we've seen at Rogers Center until the next biggest one, um, we are now on the other side of the dreaded soft schedule stretch for the Blue Jays. 15 games against teams below 500, some of them truly putrid opponents. The Blue Jays go 10 and 5 in that stretch on the scale of, that's eh, fine. It's pretty good. It's great. Where do you fall as far as evaluating this run of play for the Blue Jays? I would say it's it's pretty decent. Um, that wasn't an option. Yes. <laughs> that was not an it's option. solid. Fine, good, or great. It's good. It got the job done. So, you know? Again, not an option. Fine, <laughs> good, or great. Um, yeah, uh, not great. Definitely not great. Yeah, fine. It's fine. Not good. Ten and five, Ben. No. It's like a six, six, seven winning percentage. And Arden, I know you saw the teams on the other side of the field, though. I know that you oh, are yeah. aware of how <laughs> how bad those teams are. And so again, it's all about context. And so, you know, if the Blue Jays go ten and five in their next stretch, I'll say it's great. Ten and five in their next stretch, watch out. They're gonna be the second wild card. They're gonna clinch with a couple of days to spare. They are going to be in a great position. So I would say 10 and 5 moving forward is great. 10 and 5 looking back, you're playing literally the worst teams in baseball one after the other. And yeah, so you should be winning two-thirds of your games at minimum just for for the Nationals, the, the A's, the Rockies, the Royals. These teams are horrible. Like they're as bad as major league teams get. And so yeah, the Jays were, I think, fine. I, I wouldn't quite say good. If they had gone even 11 and four, I would say good. They're in a good position as a result of this. They're positioned to finish this season in a really, really strong way, but I'm going to land fine. What about you? I think it's good because you won the games and at the end of the day, they're not going to ask how, they're going to ask how many. So as you mentioned, I was, I'm pretty sure I was at every single one of these games in person. So I have a pretty good uh, vantage point on the quality of competition, which is really, really low. I want to say that I saw two good pitchers in this run, Mason Miller and Cole Raggins. I can't really think of another. Well, I, I don't know. I guess it started with Cleveland, right? So you would have seen like Class A there and like they've got some decent arms. But the pitching that we saw was just really 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 bad throughout and the blue jays at no point bludgeoned that pitching in the way that they ought to have like i would have expected that at least somewhere in this recent run of colorado oakland casey that you would have had like a 12 to 2 day or a 9 to 1 day and the blue jays never really did that and on some occasions they in fact needed to rely on the opposition issuing multiple two out walks and then melting down uh with not being able to even throw a pitch near the plate 
catcher umpire backstop <laughs> to that extent they needed uh that level of help just to get some runs across so yeah if you really dive into the context of it the blue jays didn't play great over this stretch they didn't perform tremendously but the results are there it is kind of that time of year where the results are all that matters yeah, I think they've ended up in a good spot. I think that they are now in a good spot to be able to advance to the postseason, whether that's the second wild card or the third wild card. That'll take a few weeks to decide. You probably can't finesse that. You certainly don't try to land in one spot versus the other. You just try to win at this point. So there's no denying that the place they're in now with Bobachet back on the roster, with the pitching continuing to roll and really give this team uh, just really good performance every single night, it seems, from from the pitching staff, they're in a good spot, even as the Texas Rangers come to town, even as their schedule gets a lot more difficult. You know, at the same time, I, I think there was a pathway in that series to sweep the A's, to sweep the Rockies, to sweep the Nationals. And you're obviously not going to sweep every one of those series. You're not going to go, whatever it is, 13-2 and two in the course of a 15-game stretch. But there was room to do a little more at the same time. I don't think it's worth going in with a fine-tooth comb at exactly what went wrong. Those wins have been banked, and that's the important thing. And right now, the Blue Jays are in a good spot to be able to advance to the postseason. And, you know, ideally, they don't have to do so on the final day of the season and burn Kevin Gosman. Ideally, they can set things up a little bit and then really put themselves in a position to win once they get there. I just continue to be baffled by the lack of power from this club. Like when you look at it overall throughout the season, the Blue Jays make really good swing decisions. Um, they walk at a high clip. They don't strike out a ton. I mean, you, I'm sure that they're up near the top in batting average on base percentage. Wade runs created plus. I mean, obviously the the pitching is stellar and uh, they defend really well. But like just focusing in on offense, I just continue to not believe that we haven't had more days like Saturday when George Springer goes deep twice and you see what a difference that makes or you know that we haven't had like the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. two home run game more often maybe he has one this year like I continue to be a bit confounded by the fact that you might not see a 25 homer hitter on this club like that is something that if you had suggested it to me going into the season I mean I just I wouldn't have believed it I mean I would have looked at you know Vladdy and Springer as guys who could get to 30 I would have looked at Dalton Varsho and Bo Bichette and Brandon Belt as guys who could get to 25 I mean you could put Matt Chapman in there as well I mean you could put Alejandro Kirk in the you know realm of hitting 20 that to me has been just the one missing ingredient all year and it's a little bizarre when you look at just the quality of contact that the Blue Jays make like they do hit the ball pretty hard and they do make a lot of contact with opposing pitchers I just cannot tell you why balls have not been clearing the fence but I do think that is the like biggest missing ingredient holding this team back from looking a lot better yeah, you should always have a 25 home run hitter on your team. I mean, it's not we're not asking for so much here. I'm not saying you should have a 45 home run hitter every year. Uh, even in 2018-19, when the Blue Jays were pretty abysmal, they had Randall Grichuk and Justin Smoke. Those guys did hit 25 plus home runs. Like you should always have that. That is just a baseline for even a non-competitive team. But regardless, I mean, that ship has somewhat sailed. This Blue Jays team is not super powerful. That's the reality of how things are this season. Maybe Vladdy reworks some things mechanically in the offseason with approach. 
you know, we could certainly see that he's still got all kinds of ability. We saw flashes of that on the weekend, even against Kansas City with some great at bats, some really bad at bats, but also some really good at bats, some good defense, some good base running. What do you got on Vlad? I mean, it's just I Vlad. It's just the most perplexing season. We talked about it last it time, and we've been talking about it all season. And then just you just got me thinking, even within like the microcosm of this Royals series, like he had some really like he probably had the best approach I think against Raggins of anyone like, by far. I thought he had great plate appearances. Like saw yeah. eight pitches his first time up. He walked against good contact. Him. Yeah, right. Like yeah. looked really good against you know one of the best pitchers that we've seen in weeks. But you also saw plate appearances in. The uh, Royals series that Vlad just gave away when he was swinging at like oh one oh two ball to ball sliders off on the, a Friday off the plate that were just yeah, fourth inning nowhere near. It's just like bewildering to me. And then you look at even his month of September, his chase rate is way down from where it was earlier this year. August was like a yearly high in his chase rate, chased all the time in August. He's brought it back down. July was a down month as well, but the, the first half of the season, the chase rate was up. I think overall this year, it's like around 30%. And I think that for Vlad to be at his best, it's got to be closer to 20. So, like, and Shy and I actually talked to him on the road trip in Oakland about it, and he talked about zoning up and about looking for his pitch and being aggressive on his pitch and not getting himself out on, you know, that like, O one or even O O borderline pitchers pitch strike and letting that go and taking that strike and getting to the pitch that you can drive. So he's aware of it and working on it. But then there still were played appearances against Kansas City where you just kind of shook your head like that, you know, clearly that's not the approach that you had at that time. Yeah. And and I think it was interesting to see him bounce back on Friday because that at bat in the fourth inning was awful. It was an awful at bat. His approach was nowhere to be found. But then to Vladdy's credit, he found a way to recover within the game and make an adjustment within that game. Comes back later in the game, a couple runners on base, hits a double, drives in two with an absolutely great approach. 3-0, sent to left field. And it's over the head of Melendez. Springer in to score. Bichette behind him. And Guerrero delivers. That's where, look, one at bat with a bad approach, that's part of a baseball season. Shohei Otani's going to look bad sometimes. Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to strike out 100 times a season, whatever, maybe for him it's less, maybe it's 75. But every hitter in baseball makes outs and looks bad at times. So we have to have a little bit of patience for Vladdy in that situation. And to his credit, he recovered. But when it comes to power, he's really only part of the equation. And I think on Saturday, seeing George Springer really come out and hit two home runs, I don't know if this is going to continue, but that's huge for this team because Springer has kind of been absent as a power force this season. I mean, he had 17 home runs going into this weekend against the Royals, hits two on Saturday to bring him to 19 on the season. But they need him to be more like a 30 home run hitter. George Springer was not signed for $150 million to hit 17 home runs and, you know, post a 730 OPS. So if he can continue this, and he's been really good since the start of August, then that would go a long way toward making this Blue Jays lineup just a, a more threatening group from night to night. And that day, he also had a line drive single up the middle. So he's homering to both fields and then a line drive single up the middle, which is also a really good sign. Also, all three of those pitches sliders. 
And George Springer has had a lot of trouble against sliders this year. He entered that game with like a 150 batting average against it, a negative 16 run value. I mean, we're talking about statistics against sliders that rank within the bottom 5% of hitters in the league and he squared up three sliders that day and said after the game i wasn't looking for sliders i was just looking for good pitches to hit but he clearly had a good approach against them i remember in the the reliever that uh serpa who he hit the uh the second homer off of i mean he fouled off a couple of borderline sliders in that plate appearance like a couple of really tough pitches to get to the one that he barreled fly ball well hit right center second home run of the game for George Springer. That's almost as good of a sign as any, that he was recognizing those pitches and getting his bat to them and spoiling them and and not swinging and missing at them, which he, he has to a, a good extent this year. So, I mean, that was kind of an interesting development with him this weekend, I thought. Also interesting to hear him talk about how his focus at the plate right now is just slowing himself down. He thought he was getting a little sped up earlier this year i mean we're talking about like a world series mvp like a guy who's been mr september and october of like of this generation a guy who's you know been in some really pressureful intense moments and performed really well in them kind of interesting to hear a guy even of that stature talk about how he's susceptible to pressing it makes it understandable when you see hitters much younger than him such as vladimir guerrero jr who is like the youngest player on the team or an alejandro kirk or you know name your other young blue jay it it makes it understandable when you see them pressing at times as well if even george springer is pressing right now absolutely yeah and and really to see george springer turn things around a little bit um, along with some positive signs from vlad jr the return of Bo Bichette. I mean, just a huge, huge return for the Blue Jays to have Bo Bichette back in there for a couple of days. Looked like he was available on Saturday as well to pinch hit if needed. Um, so, you know, that's that's massive. Obviously, he's been their best hitter this year. Um, so the lineup is starting to look solid. And I think the path for this team, you know, if they're going to win four playoff series, the path is still going to be driven by pitching. And their pitching continues to look really, really good. Kevin Gosman lined up for game 162. Obviously, you just push him to game one of a playoff series if you've clinched by that final Sunday three weeks from now. So their pitching should line up pretty well with Barrios and Bassett following Kevin Gosman. You've got Ryu and Kikuchi pitching well. You've got a bullpen that looks strong with Eric Swanson back. So, you know, this is uh, the template is there. You have a little bit of offense, enough offense. You have some pretty good defense some bench contributions now that guys like Ernie Clement are on the bench, Kevin Biggio coming off the bench and looking really good. And then that pitching is kind of the backbone. It's interesting in Bassett, Barrios and Gosman, you got three guys who are going to flirt with 200 inning seasons, um, at least 190 really for all three of them. And then like you say, Kikuchi right now is around 150. So say he gets to like 175 range somewhere in there. That's a lot of workload, man. Like, and those are guys that you are going to be relying on to be like not just there for you to pitch innings in the the postseason, but to be peaking and to be pitching your best innings and your most intense and stressful and like performance demanding innings. Like, I am really just interested to see how those guys manage their workloads down the stretch. How they, you know, try to get the most out of their arms at a point when none of them can be feeling good because nobody throws this much over five five and a half months to this point 
and feels good and wakes up every day with an arm that isn't sore and hanging. Uh, I remember Chris Bassett talking in the spring training when he was like going through like kind of that odd like velocity dip at the time and saying like, hey, I'm holding something back because I know like I'm going to throw a lot this year and I know that I want to be Probably not my best, but as good as possible in September and October. Lo and behold, Chris Bassett goes out in uh, the beginning of September and throws back-to-back eight-inning like gems, honestly. And he's going to pitch here. We're recording this Monday, September 11th, so he's going to pitch this evening. He's probably pitched by the time you're listening to this, Ben. I don't know what happened, but to this point, he has been exceptional over his last couple of outings. So it seems like he has actually timed his marathon for this season pretty well like he's actually paced himself very well there's something to be learned there for young pitchers to maybe come out of the gates and you know late spring training early season throwing 98 99 max effort putting everything into it and don't hold up over a full year i'm interested so i i bet that chris bassett's going to continue to perform well because i trust him to have managed things well and i'm interested to see what that also looks like for a brios for a gosman and for a kikuchi Big time. It's super interesting. I actually think that this group is probably as well equipped as any to be able to walk that line, right? Because they've done it before. And I think you can look to, we talked about Alec Manoa last week. We don't need to necessarily get into that this week. But there's another side of it where it's like, if you're not quite pushing hard enough in spring, or if you're not quite clicking on all cylinders enough in spring, maybe you don't set yourself up to start the season in the way you want. But then you have these guys Kevin Gosman gets to the end of August. He's like, you know what? I pitched at altitude a lot. I'm going to skip a bullpen before course. And then he, you know, that start goes the way it goes. But then the next start, he's able to go 100 plus pitches, really eat some innings for the Blue Jays. Barrios has obviously done it before. Kikuchi, maybe this is a little uncharted territory, but I think in particular those front three, the right handers of Gosman, Barrios, and Bassett, man, that is a group that. There's a lot of experience there, and this is where that experience can can really help out. And, you know, they obviously need those guys. They're the backbone of this team. It's been huge. And I think, you know, the Bassett acquisition looks great one year in. I mean, that's a tremendous addition to this ball club. They've needed what he's been able to offer, and it seems like he's an important part of that clubhouse as well. Langoliers strikes out. First strikeout for the right-hander, Chris Bassett. And Bassett with the 0-2. Struck him out. Yeah, don't look at how Ross Stripling's season is gone. By the way, yeah, um, yeah, that's really unfortunate. But it looks like getting himself in a little hot water too with some phantom IL comments. I noticed that. Uh, but yeah, look, <laughs> yeah, you know, it looks like the Blue Jays. You know, again, the Blue Jays have made really good decisions in free agency in terms of like who they bring back, who they pursue. Kevin Gosman, a pretty good example of that. Robbie Ray right now is rehabilitating a major injury. It's interesting seeing. Some of these guys also just work to make adjustments late into their seasons. Like, you know, I've had similar conversations about Kevin Gosman about just kind of managing his between starts workload and his lifting and his throwing sessions, things like that. We're also seeing him continue to try to incorporate that slider more. I mean, he's really been searching for it. It's not his best pitch. It's not a fantastic pitch. He's done a lot of work with Pete Walker with on trying to develop like more of a sweeper and just kind of making it, you know, break a bit more side to side. He really just wants to steal a strike with it every once in a while he's been burned throwing it a number of times and against the royals honestly like his fastball command was just so good like he didn't need it 
Like he was just dotting that fastball bottom of the zone, which makes a splitter that much more effective because as a hitter, you're just like in complete, like you're just bewildered with like, all right, the fastball and the splitter both look the same and they're both coming on the same plane in the same part of the zone. But one of them's like 96 and the other one is dropping off the table. It's just, it's an impossible day as a hitter. So when he spots that fastball like that, great. But when his fastball command isn't quite there, you can see he's trying to have that slider to steal him strikes, but it's been a, it's been a work in progress. Similar with Barrios, he's really moved away from his four seamer lately because I think he was running into some of the same issues that he was running into last season where he was just leaving it in really bad spots, uh, particularly the left-handed hitters. So the adjustment this year seems to have been, hey, Let's just not throw it as much. Let's throw way more sinkers and work the slurve off of that. That's been really effective lately against poor competition. We'll see what it looks like as you start to face like a Rays and and a Yankees lineup and, you know, whoever you might be facing in the postseason. But Brios, too, is starting to make adjustments late into his season here. It's just interesting to kind of see these guys work through it as the innings totals uh, climb. And in the meantime, like they have been pretty dominant at times like Barrios looked really really good on Sunday I honestly thought Gosman might throw a no-hitter and I don't say that like super lightly but I thought looking at that lineup I don't know like I really <laughs> could have seen it they end up two hitting Kansas City so it's not like it was that close and you know looking at that lineup there are a lot of hitters in there that you know probably don't start on a contending team let's put it that way I mean Bobby Wood Jr. is absolutely incredible though and just want to you know give him a little recognition for just like his speed just creates runs. It's sort of like Ellie De La Cruz, but a couple years more advanced and more polished. And, you know, we talk about Ellie De La Cruz. He's an amazing player. I, I just think Bobby Witt Jr. is absolutely incredible. The power, the speed, the defense, his defensive ability, not only the arm, but getting to balls, decision-making. He just seems like a one of the best players in baseball already. So really fun to watch him, even if the Royals as a whole are not very good. Yeah, we didn't see him hit anything too hard when he was in Toronto. But yeah, the the speed like puts a ton of pressure on the opposition. And just to tie a bow on the pitching staff as well, like we should we should give Hunjin Ryu some flowers here because yeah. like he has been well beyond expectation coming back from Tommy John surgery. Like like the Blue Jays did not expect to be getting this version of Hunjin Ryu. Two six five ERA over his seven starts Ben, i mean he's just carving he's uh you know the cutter isn't what it once was that's okay he's using other pitches now the changeup has been fantastic he moved back to a sinker which he was using earlier in his career and he's brought that back he's using it effectively surprising hitters with it because not everybody knows that he's throwing it again um the fastball will play at 89 90 because he has so many other offerings and because his command and his location is so pinpoint and then he's just like dropping in these 65 mile per hour curveballs he's striking dudes out with because they're just in between and they're just out of sorts with everything that he's throwing and because he's locating so well Hunjin Ryu has like something like six or seven strikeouts with those 65 five mile per hour curveballs this year rich hill has like three and then it's like a list of position players you know what i mean like it's like you know it's dudes who are pitching at the end of blowouts and just kind of hucking it up and getting awkward swings at the end of you know a 20 to 2 game so you just don't see pitchers getting strikeouts with pitches that slow hunjin ryu is doing it with regularity and it speaks to how well he's pitching yeah he's a really important part of this team and you look at stretches like they're in now where it's 10 games in a row. All right, everyone has to start twice. Like, you're going to need him in that situation. And, you know, he's sort of, Rich Hill, probably a good comp, kind of like a Kershaw light. Kershaw himself not throwing very hard at this point in the season. And, 
you know, Kershaw's curve is obviously better. It's one of the best curves ever. But Ryu is like, he's very useful. He's very, very needed for this team. And, you know, we'll see what that looks like if they get to the postseason. But the other thing is, like, as much as, you know, uh, there's a temptation sometimes to say, okay, it's going to be Gosman, Barrios, and then after that, it'll be Bassett. Well, okay, one hamstring strain changes that. One comeback or off an ankle changes that. Or if the Blue Jays lose three or four against Texas this week, which we'll get to, well, all of a sudden, then you're much more likely to be pushing until the very final weekend of the season. Maybe you have to use Kevin Gosman and Yusei Kikuchi in that game 162 just to get into the playoffs or just to make sure that you're holding off that other team. Then all of a sudden, you don't have as much choice. Like you might be using Ryu in game two of the wildcard series. So there is a huge amount of importance. Even if on paper he's the number five, you don't know how things are going to go. He could be starting huge games for this team. Yeah, Kevin Gosman right now is lined up for game 162. And the Blue Jays like the way that that's lined up right now because obviously, like, yeah, if you have to win that game, okay, you want Kevin Gosman in the game, you have to yep. win. And if you don't have to win that game, all right, it's time for Bowden Francis to throw 60 pitches and, uh, I don't know, Jay Jackson and Trevor Chad Richards Green. and Chad Green. And, you know, I, Maybe you're uh, selecting a Mitch White back to the roster. Don't look now. He carved for the Buffalo Bisons the other night, got up to 97. But uh, it, it. It, that would be the ideal scenario for the Blue Jays. And then Gosman is set up for game one of a wildcard series. And then you would have Brios and Bassett ready to go behind them. Might not might not happen that way. Like you might need yeah. to win 162 and you might need to throw Kevin Gosman in that game. And you might not have Kevin Gosman for a wildcard series. And so it might be a like, Bassett Barrios game one and two and then game three you're like well yeah I mean Kikuchi Ryu bullpen day dare I say it maybe Gosman's available in in the relief like maybe he can give you 30 pitches in the bullpen but like it's all hands on deck at that point like it becomes pretty chaotic and that's the way it should be yeah totally so like that it'll be interesting to see how that plays out but the, the Blue Jays have gotten to where they've gotten right now because they have the best pitching staff in baseball. And that the like results tell you that, performance tells you that, the way they get to those results tells you that. Deep bullpen, obviously, there are some guys down there who are uh, hanging a little bit right now. There are some pretty high innings totals, and I think the Blue Jays are going to have to be mindful of the push-pull down the stretch here of wanting to get four out saves from Jordan Romano and wanting to push Jordan Hicks a bit further and like wanting to, you know, some of the guys who have really high workloads to ask a bit more from them because they are your best arms and you need to win these games down the stretch, but also being mindful of the fact that a lot of these guys have been used a lot and uh, are not feeling their best and maybe their stuff isn't quite as crisp or as sharp or their command isn't quite as precise. There is going to be a, a push-pull there as the Blue Jays try to win as many games as possible down the stretch, but also keep their bullpen in the best shape possible going into the postseason where it's like no choice but to ask Jordan Romano for five outs. Yeah, exactly. So it'll be interesting to see. I think they're in a really good spot. If they go in 11 and 8 to finish these last 19 games, 91 wins, I think you're in. If they go 12 and 7, they're almost for sure going to be in. So really good position for the Jays right now and still a lot more work to do. All right, let's step away. But when we come back, let's set up this uh, Texas Rangers series and uh, what we could see from this club over not only the next four days, but the final three weeks as we barrel towards October. All that and so much more when we continue on At The Letters. Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
It continues on at the letters Arden Swelling, Ben Nicholson, Smith, our producer, Christian, Ryan, Ben. Four games against the Texas Rangers this week. Going to be playoff atmosphere, I'm sure. Going to be games that are played like playoff games, managed like playoff games. I think probably most likely scenario is that it's like a 2-2 split, to be honest with you. But there is plenty uh, on the line for one team to go three of four here. If the Rangers go three of four, obviously they uh, you know gain back some much needed ground that they have been uh, bleeding in the in the wild card race. If the Blue Jays go three of four, they gain the tiebreaker over the Rangers, which could be uh, an awfully critical thing to have come the end of the season. As soon as the Rangers win two games in this series, they will have secured the tiebreaker because they won the three game set that these two teams played earlier this year by a score uh, a series score of two to one so plenty to play for at rogers center this week huge series no question about that and i think that tiebreaker is a really interesting one to keep an eye on because as you know at this point they don't play a game 163 to determine a tiebreaker it's basically just head-to-head record followed by intradivisional record um and because the Rangers and Blue Jays play an odd number of times, someone will win that. So uh, the Jays need to do everything they can to win this series and go up three to one in the series. That would put them um, four and three on the season over the Texas Rangers if they can pull that off. And then at that point, too, if you can win three of four, and that's a big ask because Texas is a very good baseball team despite their recent struggles. But at that point, you would be three and a half games above the Rangers with a little more than two weeks to play. You would be in a very, very, very strong position to make the playoffs. Texas is a very good baseball team, even though they're 6-15 and 15 over their last 21, uh, even though they've gone 22 consecutive games without a victory from a starter. Their last win from a starting pitcher was on August 15th. In spite of that, uh, I just don't think that you want to sleep on this club. Like, still a really explosive offense, still, you know, an MVP candidate and Corey Seager, still Marcus Simeon having like a casual five, six win season because he can. Uh, and on the pitching side, like, obviously the Rangers have had trouble preventing runs lately, but it's you look at the track records of a Max Scherzer, of a Jordan Montgomery, of a Nate, Nate Evaldi, um, of a John Gray even. These are really good pitchers, and these are pitchers who you would expect to perform better, uh, and bullpen performance uh, can fluctuate so wildly over the course of, of a season. I'm sure if you look at the Rangers' bullpen ERA over their last 22 games, it's probably extremely inflated. ERA also probably like the worst statistic you can use to measure a, a bullpen and to measure relievers who are the short sample of short samples. So honestly, it would not surprise me at all if the Rangers play much closer to their true talent and their potential this week at Rogers Center in spite of how they've played over the last three weeks. For sure. And they're just, they're night and day compared to the teams the Jays have been playing. You know, the Rockies, the Royals, the A's, they're way better than these teams. There were no Mitch Garvers and Semyons and Seegers in the middle of those batting orders. It's going to be a challenge for the Blue Jays to be able to win here, regardless of how poorly things have gone for Texas in the last few weeks, they did sort of recover toward the end of that Oakland series and win their last couple of games there to keep the pressure on. But you can't 
look past it. I don't think anyone's in danger of looking past this series. If anything, um, you know, going into the Royals series, people, I'm not saying the Blue Jays themselves, but I think that some of the discussion around the team was already looking ahead to Texas. And now here we are. This is a point in the season where it can be pretty fun. I mean, the Blue Jays, you know, this could shift in a couple games if they lose the first two against Texas. But as things stand right now, the Jays have a tiny, tiny bit of breathing room to work with and some pretty compelling baseball coming up. I imagine that the crowds are going to be pretty packed at Rogers Center. They certainly were Saturday and Sunday against Kansas City. I think that'll probably be the case for most of these games going forward, as it should be. And so it should be some really good baseball. And the goal isn't to have good September baseball. The goal is to win series and multiple of them in October. But good September baseball is a precursor to that. So I think it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a marquee series. It's a huge opportunity for the Blue Jays. It's your last series against a team that is like anywhere close to you in the standings. So it's your last chance to really like directly impact what's playing out in this wildcard race as far as like handing out losses to somebody who you're competing with. The tiebreakers on the line. Um, you look at the entire season long numbers and it's the AL's best offense versus the AL's best pitching staff. So that's interesting in and of itself. Um, I'm kind of interested how the Blue Jays deploy for this series, how far they push and Alejandro Kirk, who started all three games on the weekend, how much they ask out of their bullpen, how long they let starters go, how quick the hook is on guys. I'm interested in the lineups, how often Davis Schneider is in there and, and how often you try to ride a hot streak versus going with maybe a historical track record. Like I'm interested in some of the um, in-game tactics that are deployed. We saw the Blue Jays playing small ball on Sunday we saw safety squeeze uh, like things like that hit and runs being put on like I'm just interested in the deployment and management of this series could be different than we see in the past I can tell you this the Jays have had an advanced scout following Texas for some time now in person and they've had the same thing for the Yankees upcoming, the Rays upcoming. They've got somebody on the Twins right now. Blue Jays anticipating that there's a decent chance they're going to play the Twins in the wild card round. Blue Jays have been preparing for this series for some time. Really interested to just see how they approach it over four days. Yeah, this is where you get a couple observations uh, just about how the Rangers do things. Um, their tendencies, their pitchers' tendencies, their catchers' tendencies. Do they backpick a lot? Do they pick off? couple observations like that can make a big difference one out here one run there that can be enough to swing a game and the way this is going that can be enough to swing a season so it's a great time to have your pro scouts deployed that's really interesting that the jays have um, been planning for this they obviously need to be advancing the rays and twins heavily at this point as well Um, but first things first that texas series will be really interesting and i think too like you know, there's the Bo Bichette aspect of things. Like we saw them pretty conservatively ease Bo back in with a shortstop day, a rest day, and a DH day. I would expect, again, we don't know, but I would expect that Bo was in there starting at shortstop on Monday. And I would also expect that he does not play shortstop for all four of those games. So at some point, we're looking at a little bit of rest there. I think with Kirk, you need to use Heineman a couple times in the next week. Um, this is my personal opinion. I expect the Jays will agree with it, but I think that, you know, you're about to play seven more in a row. I think Kahneman's got to start a couple of those and probably Monday or Tuesday is one of them. And then maybe Saturday is the other, something along those lines. But with Jansen down for the season, you can't afford to have Kirk down as well. 
we have seen that Kirk's workload and performance have been uh, offensively, his performance, I should say, uh, have been tied together uh, in recent seasons. And typically as the workload increases, uh, the power output decreases. And this is at a time where the Blue Jays cannot afford to be sacrificing any power in their lineup because they're already operating from a place where they haven't been getting a lot of it the interesting push pull there is that Alejandro Kirk is so sound defensively particularly in the way that he receives like you look at the way you know Kevin Gosman I was kind of singing his praises for the way he located his fastball at the bottom of the zone and what that did for his splitter just watch Alejandro Kirk just vacuum up those pitches at the bottom of the zone and get strikes at the bottom of the zone for a Gosman I mean that's something that can also be important for a Brios when he's working down there with sinkers and slurves it could be also be important for a Chris Bassett and and for his sinker although I do kind of think that Heinemann and Bassett will be the the tandem um we'll see uh it, it could be important for a guy like hunjin ryu who also like kind of tries to pick corners and and is very fine around the edges of the strike zone i think that what alejandro kirk brings defensively has a very real impact on how well your your starters perform and on helping them gain count leverage more often and just um you know i i think that like that that's a very important thing here so you want him behind the plate a lot. Like you're gonna have to put yourself beyond your comfort zone regardless. Blue Jays already did by starting him behind the plate three straight days on a weekend with day games after night games. Yep. But the Blue Jays just have to determine how far beyond that into you know beyond their comfort zone they are willing to go and when you know you start to see a, a bit of a sacrifice offensively and how much of that you can stomach. And I think at this point. It's a huge series, obviously, against Texas. So you're going to ask Kirk to start three of those games, let's say. Um, but I don't think it can be all four. After starting all three on the weekend, like you're not, I, I don't think you no. can ask him to go seven in a row. I don't think they will. I think they're going to find a way to get rest in there for Alejandro Kirk. But, you know, the goal is not just to win three or four against the Rangers or sweep Texas. The goal is to win the World Series, right? You still have a chance at that. It might be 5%. You still have a chance at that. 5% is a lot better than zero. So as long as that number is there, you still have to kind of keep that in the back of your mind too. And that's where I actually don't mind that the Blue Jays were kind of conservative with Bo Bichette this weekend. And of course, if they had lost those games, there might have been some angry callers on Jays talk questioning everything. But look, you have to try to thread the needle. You can't overdo it with Bo. We know that he came back probably, you know, I asked him this on Friday when he came back, you know, is it connected the the knee and the quad he said we'll never know for sure but you know there's there's a chance that it is he acknowledged and so you don't want to just overdo it because of that kinetic chain one injury to the quad can lead to something else and you want Bo Bichette, you need Bo Bichette to be there same goes for Alejandro Kirk and he pulls one into left to base hit Heinemann around third on his way home and will score Springer around to third and welcome back Bo Bichette. I like Heineman with Ryu also, I should say. Like I think that's also a good pairing. So Ryu goes on Tuesday. So I do kind of wonder if we see Alejandro Kirk start four games sure. in a row. Start Monday with Bassett, then Heineman gets Ryu on Tuesday, and then Kirk can get the final two games of the series. I don't know. We'll see. By the time people are listening to this, they'll, they'll already know. What do you think the role is for uh, the Buffalo Boys in this series? Is Davis Schneider starting more often than he's not for you? Is he out of the lineup here and there? 
Is there any Clement drawn in on the day that, you know, Bo Bichette's DHing? Does Spencer Horowitz have a spot in here? Is Brandon Belt going to be good enough to go? Where do you fall on just the role for Schneider, Horowitz, and Clement? Because the Blue Jays have been getting sound contributions from all three recently. They've been great. Those guys have been awesome. Almost like could not have asked for more. David Schneider, 2.1 war this season. You know, let's say the Jays had two fewer wins. They are out of the playoffs. They are on the outside looking in. David Schneider has been a massive, (laughs) massive contributor, a difference maker for this team. So to me, he's playing most days. I think that's probably five out of seven. You know, maybe it's six, maybe it's four. I don't know. He's got to be playing a lot. He's a good hitter. He's showing great plate approach. He's showing an ability to handle second base in the major leagues. Probably don't want him a third too much. But, you know, David Schneider... Good major league player on a team that needs good major league players. So great. Play him. This one given a ride to deep left field. And it is gone. Davis Schneider delivers the first home run for the Jays in this series. It's now Clement five, can play two. short when Bo is not starting it short. Horwitz to me is a he's a bench bat. He's behind Brennan Belt, obviously, on the depth chart. Nice story. Great to have him up there. Really good numbers at AAA. But I don't think you need to be going out of your way to find starts for Spencer Horwitz. I think he'll get his chances, and that's great. Same with Ernie Clement. I don't think those guys need to be more than bench players at this point. But David Schneider, I think, has earned uh, a real look. It's a couple of interesting things with both Clement and with Schneider. First of all, is it's kind of interesting just learning a bit this week about what the Blue Jays kind of saw in Ernie Clement, what he saw in the Blue Jays towards the end of spring training. Like, remember, he came in in the final days of spring training. Uh, he was released by the Oakland Athletics, and he had options. Like, there were other organizations he could have gone to on minor league deals. He chose to go to the Blue Jays, first and foremost, because they told him he was going to get regular playing time at AAA, and the Blue Jays AAA affiliate happens to be in Buffalo, which is not far from Ernie Clement's home of Rochester. So that worked. He's been spending a lot of time with his grandmother this season, and that's meaningful to him. But also the blue jays told him hey we got some ideas for you when it comes to your swing path when it comes to your your bat path and and how you can maybe get a bit more out of what are like amazing contact rates in the minors like early commence always been able to make great contact swing decisions somewhat suspect at times but he gets his bat on everything he could like it's up over 90 percent his contact rate at the big league level this year but you look at his bad balls in triple a and the ground ball rates were always up over 40 percent and and line drive rates down below 15. So the Blue Jays gave him some drills to do. He worked with Matt Hag on them all year. Flips, T-work, stuff in the cages, all kinds of things to just alter his swing path and relearn some new muscle memory. All of a sudden, the ground ball rate this year is like six points lower, and the line drive rate is like 14 points higher. And you even see it now at the big league level. The guy hits a lot of line drives. Like The guy gets the ball in the air a lot, and that's thanks to the development and the work that he did with the Blue Jays, with Matt Hag at AAA. So I thought that was really interesting. I think Ernie Command has like sneaky utility even on a wild card roster just because he's really fast. He gives you a speed element, gives you a great contact element. And if he's hitting more line drives, you're not as worried about, you know, double playground balls and, and things like that. You're not as worried anyway because of his speed. And the guy can play shortstop. It's not going to be the best shortstop you're ever going to see in the world, but he can play that position. So that's interesting. On the Schneider side, I'm interested how the league's going to start adjusting to him because it's like so clear what the guy's trying to do. Get me something 
middle, middle in, let me turn on that, pull it, hit it in the air. And you look at his pull rate is huge. His air rate is huge. So that's fly balls and line drives. Like the guy doesn't hit ground balls. It was a joke at Buffalo with during BP when infielders would try to take like live reads during batting practice off of Davis Schneider. They would just like take off their gloves and start like shooting the breeze because they were like, this guy's not going to hit ground balls in BP. The guy never hits ground balls. So that's great that that's your approach. But we even saw the Royals start to do this a little bit where it was, all right, soft away, soft away soft away and even david schneider will tell you hey if the pitcher paints three pitches on the outside edge to me soft i'm probably walking back to the dugout because i'm probably taking those pitches because we've seen that he's very selective and we've seen that schneider can recognize those and not offer at them and try to get to that middle in that he can pull to left so if the royals are figuring that out i bet you the rangers the yankees the rays maybe in the postseason the twins I bet you they figured that out and they have pitchers who are much more capable of painting that outside edge than the Royals or the Athletics or the Nationals did. So that how that approach comes around and what happens to David Schneider at that point, really interested to see. But to your point, his performance has absolutely earned regular playing time at this time. Um, I think you just kind of ride that hot hand until it is no longer hot. For sure. He's been he's been so good. And the question isn't whether his numbers will fall off. It's how fast and how far. And that's OK. That's no one's <laughs> going to sustain, you know, what he's done. It sounds almost negative when I put it that way. But it's like, no, he's going to fall off. He knows that. Yeah, it's clear. That's that's the plan is for him to fall off offensively compared to where he uh, has been at the stratospheric heights so far. Um, so Pitchers will still make mistakes. This is a point that David Schneider's made a couple times, and I think it's a good one. Even if you're facing, like as things line up today, the Jays would face the Tampa Bay Rays, they're going to have a, a lot of chances to set things up. So let's say it's Glasnow and Eflin. Really tough, not good. You don't like that at the Trop, where the Rays have been a very, very, very good home team. Those guys are going to try to execute against David Schneider and everybody else, but they're going to make mistakes. You know, Eflin's going to leave a cutter on the middle of the plate or hang a curveball or Glasnow is going to get a fastball middle-middle and Vladdy's going to hammer it. So, you know, we'll see. You got to take advantage of those mistakes and that's obviously easier said than done, but that's their job. So we'll see if they can do it. I think the good news for the Blue Jays is that in Santiago Espinal and Kevin Biggio, you also have a couple of guys who are performing pretty well lately. Like Biggio, honestly, more than just lately, since like mid-May, he's got an 800 OPS. And all of a sudden, he looks much better at third base than he did previously. So he's been like huge for covering up for the absence of, uh, of Matt Chapman. And then Santiago Espinal as well, kind of understanding the adjustment that was made to him in the big leagues of, hey, let's challenge this guy with fastballs. You you're seeing Santiago Espinal being a lot more aggressive on those early count fastballs now and kind of making some of those tweaks to his aggressiveness that um, he was a little hesitant to make earlier this year and it's paying off for him. So, you know, I think the Blue Jays actually have like a some some good options to fill in in the bottom half of their order, however they want to match up against um, against the, the opposition, whoever they want to put in against a Scherzer and against a Dunning, against a Nivaldi if they get him in this series. But ultimately, like sort of to your point, it's going to come down to George Springer being George Springer, Bobachette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. being themselves. Like it is the top three, four of this batting order that are going to power this offense if the Blue Jays are going to go anywhere. For sure. And I think Ernie Clement can win you a game. Maybe Davis Schneider can win you a series, maybe. But if you're going to make it through October 
Bo, Vlad, Springer. Yeah, they're going to need the big guys <laughs> to come through and the pitching staff too. So yeah, it's a huge ask. Like again, for even of, of all the 12 playoff teams, remember this, 11 of those 12 playoff teams are going to have crushing defeats at some point in the next you know six weeks. That will probably happen to the Blue Jays. And yet there's also a slim chance that it won't happen to them. And so we're <laughs> on board to see which one of those outcomes it is. And we're still three weeks away from finding that out. Imagine how different the conversation could be on the other side of this Rangers series a week from now, heading into playing the Rays and the Yankees. I honestly still think like it's going to be that final weekend, like the Blue Jays and Rangers and maybe Mariners will go into that final weekend, like separated by, I don't know, a game two games tops like I do think it is really going to come down to those final days of the season that we're going to see a lot of shifting in this wild card race until that point I think Houston will just separate and take the west and then it'll be Seattle Toronto Texas competing for two final spots uh, going into that final weekend and one of those teams is not going to play in October should be fun for two of those teams and really not fun for the other (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fun for fans who get to uh, follow along this is why you grind through the whole years for this point like, this is why the whole the last five months of regular season plus six weeks of spring training this is why you followed all these storylines rode the ups and downs to get to this point when the baseball is just like really really brilliant so uh enjoy it uh he's ben nicholson smith our producer is christian ryan my name's arden zwelling thanks so much for listening talk to you next time on at the letters